Good evening. Welcome to the mine. Glad to have you all here for the last mine of the spring. But again, mark down on your calendars, Tuesday, August the 15th. We'll be back in here. We're going to be studying First uh, and Second Peter. In fact, uh, I think probably the verbal is going to go something like this as a promo for this study. Think God is finished with you? Think again. Peter, the rugged fisherman from Galilee and leader of the disciples, gives testimony to the fact that God never gives up on us. Come and be a part of this powerful eight-week study from the pen of Peter at the mine. It begins Tuesday, August 15th. Tells where and when and all that kind of stuff. If any questions, contact me. In fact, I'm entitling this On the Rock. And that even goes along with our study tonight of moving towards spiritual stability. Because Peter, obviously, name means rock. And uh, so anyway, thank you for indulging me for a few minutes. Uh, as I shared with those of you that were at the Da Vinci Code simulcast uh, Sunday night, I wanted to devote most of my time tonight to this very important subject, which goes along with stuff like the Da Vinci Code and Judas Papers and all of that, on moving towards spiritual stability. Uh, is, first of all, is spiritual stability possible even today? Uh, and if it is, how do we move towards spiritual stability? How do we move towards spiritual stability? And how do we communicate others to move towards spiritual stability? What are, the, what are the things we need to deal with? Now, what I have done tonight is handed out, not notes, it's just a series, it's just a page of scripture verses. And we're going to move down through these scripture verses because, believe it or not, these scripture verses all tie together. You're going to see how that works tonight. And I think these scripture verses will be very helpful in helping all of us to understand this, what can be a real monster or elephant in the room, and that is this whole concept of spiritual stability. All right, let's open up with prayer, and then we'll get started. By the way, there's coffee in the back if any of you need help in staying awake, all right? I, I, that'd be great, all right? So uh, anyway, there's coffee in the back, so after I pray, if you guys want to go back there and grab that, please do. There's cream and sugar and all that kind of good stuff. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this uh, semester that you have uh, given to us to get into the Word, especially the book of Revelation that we were in this past uh, spring. And Lord, we thank you for just sharing with us through that book and encouraging us. And Father, tonight as we close out the mind for this spring, we pray that this study of spiritual stability would just be very profitable to everyone who came out tonight, that it might be personally encouraging, and then also might give those who are here tonight some great verses and great principles and great concepts to be able to encourage others to move towards spiritual stability as well. So Father, use this night again for your honor and glory in these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You really don't have to, in a sense, open up your Bibles tonight. There might be a few times we do that, because most of the verses that we're going to be looking at tonight is right here on your sheet. So what I'd like to do to begin tonight is just to share with us the climate that the Bible says we are in, and, and why this whole thing of spiritual stability really is a problem. It's a problem because the Bible has predicted that we are living in a time and in a place where people are just being tossed to and fro with everything that comes down the pipe. 
as I shared, there's so many voices out there saying so many things. There's so much confusion about what the Bible and what God really says that there are even a lot of, what we say, Christians, people who go to church who really don't know what they believe or why they believe it. They're just, oh, it's just a mess out there. And they don't even know how to begin to try to formulate it, all right? And the Bible also teaches that during this time, because of this lack of spiritual stability and spiritual rootedness in Christ, that there will be many who will be drawn away from God, from their faith, from church, from the Bible, because of their lack of spiritual stability. And that's why spiritual stability, to me, more than anything else, is really important. It's great that we have people, for instance, who come to Cornerstone each week and who accept Christ as their personal Savior and make a decision and a commitment for Christ. But if we don't get those people grounded, if we don't get those people stabilized, if we don't get their spiritual roots down deep into the Word of God, there's going to be trouble down the road. Because there's going to be that time in their life, and it's going to come where their faith is going to be shaken unless those roots are sunk down deep. And so that's why as a church, we have as a core value things like the mind and small groups and small churches and things like that because we feel like those things are vehicles that we can use to get people, as we say in the advertisement for the mind, where people can go deep. And again, it's not just going deep as far as our intellectual understanding, but it's sinking our roots down deep in Christ. And we're going to see that in just a moment. So you notice the first three verses there. First, I shouldn't say three verses, but first three scripture passages I have there, that it really talks about this. Notice it says there in 1 Timothy 4.1, where Paul said to Timothy, Now the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will desert the faith. They will deserve the faith because they will begin to occupy themselves with deceiving spirits and demonic teachings. And the Bible talks about the fact that there's going to be a lot of false prophets out there and a lot of false teaching out there. So that obviously what's false is going to be greater than what's true. All right. So there's the, there's the problem right there. And it's demonic. It's demonic in its origin. Uh... And so it, it's going to trip a lot of people, as we've shared before. What's more easy to detect? This bottle on our shelf, maybe somewhere, that has a skull and crossbones on it and says poison across it? Or a gallon of milk that has a few drops of poison? Well, the gallon of milk with a few drops of poison. And that's what makes this whole thing so dangerous, because that's the way Satan works. He doesn't throw out to us this bottle of poison and say, yeah, this is really bad for you. You know, watch that you don't drink this. It's, he's going to make 95% of it sound really good, and yet weaving through that 95% is going to be 5% error or false, and that 5% can destroy a person. Okay? And so that's what Paul is saying here. Watch out for that, Timothy. And then he says, notice in the second passage, for there will be a time when people will not tolerate even sound teaching. In other words, they're going to lose their appetite, their hunger, their desire to really know the Word of God. Instead, following their own desires, they will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things. You know, to them, the Bible is old. It's an old message. It's a couple thousand years old. But we live in a day that postmodernism where it's like, but I want something new. 
Well, the problem is what's old is what's true. And God has given us this, and he says, this is what can change your life. This is what can transform your life. Not what comes down the pike and everybody, they get their attention drawn away because it's new. And notice, they will turn away from hearing the truth. So then Jesus says, there in Luke 18, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? In other words, the implication of this question from the Gospel of Luke is that when Jesus does finally come back, it's going to be hard to find those who are still believing and still faithful and whatever because of these passages we've already looked at. That many will desert the faith. That many will desert the the hearing of truth and they will occupy themselves to all these demonic teachings and false teachings and these new teachings and they really will not be focused upon the things that they need to be focused on. So this is sort of the climate that is creating this spiritual instability that we have and that we see today in so many people's lives. Whereas the Bible says they're tossed to and fro, back and forth, don't know what they believe or why they believe it. Uh, Let me share this, and I think I shared this before too, but you have this problem of what I call red herrings, spiritual red herrings, where everything that looks spiritual is not necessarily spiritual. And we use that concept of a red herring, which goes back to the whole idea of where that came from, when, when dog handlers would train dogs who would go out and track scents and hunt and whatever, the last part of their training in order to pass was to pass this literal fish, this red herring under their nose, to try to get them to sort of chase after something other than what they were trained to chase after. Well, Satan is the master of throwing red herrings up there in the air and seeing people chase after them instead of staying focused on what we need to stay focused on. And they can be everything from the Gnostic Gospels, like the Gospel of Judas and the Da Vinci Code and all these things that you hear about. All they are, folks, are spiritual red herrings that Satan is throwing up there in the air and just knowing that a lot of people are just going to chase after them instead of keeping themselves focused on what we need to really focus on. All he wants to do is just to distract us for just a little bit, just to divert our attention from what we need to stay focused on. So that's why when you come down to Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7a there, you'll notice that here's Paul's uh, exhortation. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, okay, just as you entered into a personal relationship with him, Continue to live your lives in Him, and notice the wording here, rooted and built up in Him and firm in your faith. So instead of having a wavering faith, which is what we're really seeing there in those first passages, Paul says, here's what I'm exhorting you to do. You need to continue in the things that you've heard and in Christ so that you can develop a firm faith, so that you and I will not be pulled away by all these false teachings and all of these red herrings and all of these things that are going to be thrown out there in the day and age in which we live. You know, it's great to be alive at this time, the last days, because it sort of coincides with that great American novel that starts out by saying, 
It was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. It's probably the most exciting time to be alive, but it can also be the most challenging time to be alive, especially as a Christian, because Satan is going to be more and more and more active leading up to the return of Christ that we learned about in the book of Revelation. So notice there, then, that Paul then goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 4, so we are no longer to be children, meaning children are understanding. It's okay to be a spiritual child, of, of, you know, a few months and even a few years after we accept Christ as our Savior. That's normal. You know, God doesn't expect you and I to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior one day and then to wake up a week later as super Christian. <laughs> and you've got this cape and you're flying around. and you're No, that's not the way it works. It's a process and it's an ongoing process. But just like we grow physically, the Bible says, listen, it'd be, it'd be an awful shame if you're, like me, 44 years old and you still need somebody to feed you because you can't feed yourself. That would cause some problems, you know. Uh, hopefully by the time you get to middle age or whatever, that you can do some things for yourself. Because again, you went through the childhood stage, you went through the adolescent stage, you went through the young adult stage, and now hopefully you've come to an adult stage, spiritually speaking, that you have much greater understanding of things spiritually than you did just a few months or a few years after you came to Christ. So that's what he means by we're no longer to be children. He's speaking in terms of trying to parallel our spiritual walk with God with our physical walk, and he's simply saying this. If you've been a Christian for 10, 15, 20 years, then your life and my life should reflect that stage of where we are, you see, as a Christian. So notice he says one of the problems with spiritual children is this. They are constantly being tossed back and forth by waves, like being in the ocean, carried about by every wind of teaching. In other words, everything that comes down the pike, they're just carried by. Because again, why? Because they have not developed this firmness in the faith. And again, part of that is that person's responsibility, and also part of it is the church's responsibility. If we're not offering things like the mind, small groups, small churches, vehicles and opportunities that people can get firm in their faith, then shame on us. But shame on people if we as a church offer these things and we have empty chairs. Because then it's like, look, you have a chance to begin to develop your faith and strengthen your faith, and become firm in your faith, if you would take advantage of the opportunities and classes and things that, that churches like Cornerstone offer in order for you and I to sink our roots down deep so that these winds of doctrine that are false won't toss us back and forth. I'm just going to take a couple more verses because I want to get to a certain point and I don't want to stop for any comments or questions. You'll notice this. What a passage this is out of the book of Galatians where Paul says this. To the Galatian Christians, notice, I am astonished. And the word he uses there in the original could not be any stronger. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are now following a different gospel. He says, folks, you got saved. You were on the right path. And now all of a sudden this false teacher has come into your midst and they're starting to spread false teaching, and all of a sudden, he's like the Pied Piper, and you're just 
following him off like, whoa, because what you're following is contradicting what the gospel of Christ says. And he says, how? I just don't understand that. How can you say you believe this and you give your life to this and then someone else comes along with a message that contradicts that and you follow that too? He says, do you not see the the wrongness of that? How can you live your life saying, oh, I believe that and that's what I'm going to follow and then somebody else comes along with something contradictory and all of a sudden then we're going to go over here and follow this. And then notice he goes on to say this. Not that there really is another gospel. Because there isn't. There's only one gospel. There's only one truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. But notice what Paul says. Okay, even if we, meaning the apostles, even if Paul came back to the Galatians, and says, you know, what I shared with you earlier, let me tell you something new. Now it contradicts this, but let me tell you something new. Paul says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let that person, whoever it is, be cursed. Literally, let me tell you how strong it is. Here's what Paul says. If you look at the original language, he says, let them be damned to hell forever. That's pretty strong. See, Paul says there's only one gospel. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting following the true gospel, and now you're caught up in this false gospel. And he says, look, I don't care if even I come back to you, or even if this angel comes down from heaven and says, we've got something new. God sent me. I'm from God. You've got to listen to me. He says, if, if anybody is preaching or teaching something, that is contrary to the one and only true gospel, he says, I don't care who it is, got to reject it. You and I have to get to a point in our life where we get past the child stage of our spirituality and where we come to a matured stage of being firm in the faith so that even if this angelic creature comes down to us and they're all in white, they got wings, they got a halo, they look beautiful. And they say, look, I just want you to know that God has something new he wants you to hear. You just automatically say, sorry, ain't listen. Because this is what Paul said in Galatians 1, 6, you know. So very, very important. And then, 1 John 4, 1. And I'm going to stop after this verse. Because this really, I, I wanted to lay heavy on these verses because I want you to see that this isn't a new problem. <laughs> This whole lack of spiritual stability where churches and people even in the church all of a sudden start following something that's not true. This problem has been around ever since the beginning of the church. But it's only going to get worse or only has gotten worse as time has went on. That's why then John, the apostle, writes in 1 John 4.1, here's what mature believers need to do. First of all, dear friends, do not believe every spirit. And isn't it interesting that I don't know about you, but I don't believe I've ever had a spirit actually speak to me. But what Paul, or what, excuse me, John is saying is that every human being who speaks to us, the source of what they say is spiritual. In other words, every human being, the source of what they say either can be traced back to the Spirit of Christ, 
or to the spirit of Antichrist that we learned about in Revelation. There's only two choices. Everything that we say, everything that we say either is going to be traced back to God or to Satan. That's the only two sources we have. But what John wants to remind us is that there's a spiritual element to what is being said. And that we should not believe every spirit, but notice, learn to test the spirits to determine if they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. As I share with you, what amazes me is this. It amazes me not how skeptical people that we share our faith with can be about our faith, because honestly, the Bible says that's actually a good quality to have. You see, when I share my faith with somebody that doesn't know Christ, I would actually be very skeptical if they just said, yeah, I'll believe whatever you say. I was like, no, no, that's not good. Because I would rather them say, you know what, can, can I check that out for myself? I'd be like, you better believe you can. I, I want them to test what I'm saying. I don't want them to believe what I'm saying and receive it hook, line, and sinker. I don't want that. That's not good. The Bible says all of us should test what we hear. But here's what the amazing part is. I understand that people who don't know Christ are skeptical, but what gets me is then when when all the false teaching is thrown out there, all those spiritual red herrings, they're not skeptical at all. They just buy it. It's like the Da Vinci Code. You know, we're just going to throw the Da Vinci Code out there. Oh, yeah, I believe it. You believe? Have you checked it out? Do you know whether it's historically accurate or not? I believe it. And it's like, it's, and you realize because of that, that there is something spiritual going on here. That people can be so skeptical about me sharing my faith with them, and yet something over here that is totally ridiculous and false and has no historical accuracy, nothing at all, and yet they buy it with ease. They don't even check it out. You know, they don't even investigate it. It's something that could determine their eternal destiny, and it's like, they don't even take five minutes to check it out. It's like, yeah, I believe that. Sounds good to me. That's amazing. So here's what John says. All of us need to get to the point where we test everything that we are hearing and that we take it through, in a sense, the sieve of God's Word. And if it doesn't line up with God's Word, if it, if it doesn't agree with what God has said, then we reject it. Even if Paul said it. Well, let me go a step further. Even if Jeff said it. Even if Ron said it. And please don't go out of here and say this, but even if Lynn said it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, job opening at Cornerstone. Yeah, right. <laughs> pink it up, my pink flipped them up. <laughs> But that's what we're supposed to do. Test, test the spirits. Now, here's the, here's the deal. And then I'm going to stop in just a moment. In order to test, that implies I've got to know what the test... In other words, I've got to begin to learn this because this is the test. Or I at least have to know this well enough to know where to find it. Or I at least, if I'm a, if I'm a childlike believer, I at least need to be willing to open up my mouth and ask somebody who I think would know to show me where can I find the answer to that. I've got to be willing to do my homework in order to test the things that I'm hearing so that I don't just believe it because whoever said it. No, I've got to test it through 
the Word of God. So, here's where we are at this point in our discussion tonight, in our talk tonight. We're just at the point where we understand that this is a problem, okay? It's been a problem, it always will be a problem, but it's going to be even a worse problem before Jesus comes, and I believe that's the generation that is alive today, and that's why it's such a a number one need that we get this word out there is because there's not that firmness in most people's faith. They don't even know how to move towards that, and we're going to just talk about that then in just a moment, because I don't want to leave you hanging there. That's not going to do us any good. How do, if spiritual stability is a problem, then how do we move towards spiritual stability? And that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about tonight. All right. Yes, Ron. Uh, just uh, this Sunday, uh, listening to the radio, and uh, they were interviewing somebody relative to Da Vinci Code and all this stuff. And I think it was a clergyman as well. And just uh, they were expressing how good they thought this was that was bringing up discussion. And uh, but, but which I thought was all right until he got to the point of saying, and it can allow them to discover alternate gospels. Is actually the terminology that they used in, in including uh, a uh, crucifixionless and resurrectionless uh, salvation. Right. Yeah. Alternate gospels, sort of what Paul says in Galatians chapter one, another gospel, and they've always been around. As I said, the Gnostic gospels that you hear so much about, the Gospel of Judas, the the Gnostic Gospels at the Da Vinci Code, Dan Brown based that whole book and movie on, are other Gospels, okay, that do not line up with the Gospels. The Gospels. Shut that door to keep the noise down as much as possible. Thank you. Kaboom went boom. Yeah, kaboom went Well, I know it's there last night, too, and they're all excited. I don't want to put a damper on it. Hopefully I don't have to yell the... Any other comments, questions, thoughts about the verses we shared? Yeah, Mike. You knew I'd have a question. Um, They're talking about people deserting their faith. Now, we talked about when people accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, truly in their heart, that they're saved and they have salvation. At that point, the only thing that the devil can steal away from them is their ability to keep building their rewards in heaven. Right. Or... Are we talking about people that never really had the faith, that never really accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, that are being stolen away before right. Before they accept it? Good I'm, question. Good question. I believe, again, my personal opinion from studying the passage, is we're talking about people who truly have believed in the faith. But, sort of like what we've talked about before, let's use this agricultural metaphor. As a plant, they did not sink their roots down deep. And so because of that, again, they were able to be wooed away. They were able to be shaken. They were able to be tossed back and forth. They were never discipled. They were never incorporated into a a church or a small group or a small church or a Bible study or anything to where their roots sunk down deep. And because of that, when some kind of false teaching came in, then they were uprooted really easily. Now, again, it doesn't mean that they lost their salvation, but what it does mean is because their roots roots were down deep, yeah, they deserted the faith. And what it means is that they could spend whatever time they've got left struggling spiritually, struggling with things that God never intended for them to struggle with because they did not 
follow through with their salvation. You see, a lot of people have the misconception that salvation is the end. When it's really not. Salvation is just the beginning. You see? Some people, it's almost like, oh, I got saved. I'm on my way to heaven. Okay, that's it. Boom. It's like, no, 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 no. The purpose of salvation found in Romans 8 is to become like Jesus Christ. So salvation, I don't know about you, but when I accepted Christ, I wasn't anything like Christ. Okay? So the purpose of salvation is to become like Christ. All right? So that's why we've got to sink our roots down deep. Let me share a, let me share a passage with you that goes along with this whole concept back in the Old Testament. If you turn your Bible to Psalm 1. Psalm 1 talks about this. I mean, again... This concept of being spiritually stable is found all through the entire Bible. I mean, Old and New Testament. Because again, God realized this is such a key thing for people. That that we've got to get people planted into the truth and into the Word of God and get those spiritual roots down deep. Because if we don't, if we don't, something's going to come along that's going to pull those very small roots out. Notice in Psalm 1. How blessed, and and isn't it interesting that this is the very first psalm, too. It's almost like this is the foundation, okay? This is the foundation of the psalms. How blessed is the one who does not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the assembly of scoffers. Instead, notice, the godly person finds pleasure in obeying the Lord's commands. Notice, he meditates on his commands day and night, Therefore, because the Word of God is such a central part of his life, her life, he is like a tree planted by flowing streams. And that word means a deeply rooted tree. One that yields its fruit at the proper time, whose leaves never fall off, and he will succeed in everything he attempts. You see, according to the very first psalm in the psalms, the key to being spiritually prosperous and spiritually stable is being planted. And how do I become planted? By meditating on the Word of God day and night. By making it such a part of my life that no matter whether Paul or an angel from heaven or anybody would come along and start throwing something false at me, I'm firm. I'm not going to be moved. I'm going to be spiritually stable to where I'm not going to be pulled up and tossed somewhere by some kind of false teaching. So again, very important. That's why the Word of God is just... And that's why... You know, you guys know, I have such a passion for the mind. such a passion for this. Because to me, folks, the Bible is clear on this. There can be no other way to achieve spiritual stability apart from the Word of God. You, I have never met a spiritually stable Christian who does not have a vibrant, vital relationship with the Word of God. Never have I met. And if, if you know somebody who is spiritually stable who's never in the Bible, please tell me who they are, because I've never met them. I've never met them. And that's why Bible studies and Bible groups and a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Bible-preaching church is so important. And that's why opening up our Bibles as much as we can 
And getting into the Word is so vitally important for us. Because it is what's going to provide our spiritual stability. It's what's going to allow us to sink our roots down deep into the truth. So no matter what comes along, we're not going to be plucked up and moved. All right? Good stuff. Comments, questions, snide remarks. <laughs> Saving, those. Saving the sniper <laughs> to the very end. Yeah. I'll have to go home on a negative note. No. If you go back to your notes, look at this then. You come to a point where once again, you know what, folks? I, I want you to see this too. If, if Jesus was judged by sometimes the standards that we judge the success of Christians by, then Jesus would not have been, in many people's eyes, very successful. Because you'll notice in John chapter 6, verse 66 through 69, that at this point in Jesus' ministry, many of his disciples quit following him. Well, now, does that mean Jesus was a bad leader, bad teacher, bad this? No. Jesus was giving them the truth, and they didn't want the truth. As we go back to that movie, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> they couldn't handle the truth. They didn't, they didn't want to hear the truth. Jesus loved them enough to tell them what they needed to hear, but not what they wanted to hear. So they quit following. So then Jesus turns to the twelve and says, you don't want to go away too, do you? <laughs> and I love Simon Peter's answer. Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. In other words, okay, yeah, we, we have the option of turning our backs on Jesus Christ and going to somewhere, to somebody else, or to some other faith, or to some other religion, or to some other belief system. But Peter hits the nail right on the head. But where are we going to go? Because you're the only one that has the truth. So if we turn away our backs off the truth, then where else do we go? There's no other truth out there. You see, truth... I know this is, sounds really sad, but truth is truth. Which implies... I know, that's deep, isn't it? <laughs> but what that implies is, if truth is truth, then that means everything else outside of truth is false. But see, we live in a world today... In general, the world doesn't want to hear that. The world doesn't want to hear that all these other systems are wrong because, again, it goes, well, you're, you're intolerant. You're, you're exclusive. You guys can't claim to be the only ones who have the truth. Of course, I tell them, I'm not the one who claimed to be the only one with the truth. Take it up with Jesus. He's the one that claimed to have the only truth. And that's what Peter is saying. No, you know, I'm not claiming to be the one with the truth. Jesus, I'm just simply following him. Because I came to a point where I believed he was the only one that is the truth, that spoke the truth, that has the truth. So Peter goes on to say, We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, here's the first step towards spiritual maturity. The first step, then, in John chapter 6 that we see here tonight to move towards spiritual stability, first of all, is to settle who Christ is. 
And again, a child can do that. A child can do that. But the first step is to settle who Christ is. You see, some people, the reason why spiritual stability is never achieved in their life is because they never get to a point where they even settle who Christ is. And I'm not talking about knowing everything about Christ because Christ is God and God is infinite and we'll never know everything about Christ because He's the infinite Son of the eternal God. But there are some things that we can know, again, even as a child, that can settle in our minds the things that need to be settled. For instance, Jesus is God. That Jesus died on the cross for my sin. That Jesus did rise from the dead and that Jesus is coming back. And my friends, even those four things, just those four, if I can settle those in my heart and my mind, I'm going to begin to move towards spiritual stability. And that's exactly what Peter said. Just settle who Christ is. He is God. You see, there are some people that spend their whole life trying to figure out, is Jesus God? Is He not God? Is He God? Is He not God? And that's what Peter says. The first step towards spiritual stability is just settling who Christ is. He's God. He died for my sins. He rose from the dead. He's coming back. That's it. Settle. Boom. I can now move on to something else. Because you see, until I settle who Christ is, and that very basic understanding, I'll never move past that to a more deeper understanding of anything. And therefore, if I stay on that surface, then obviously, as Jesus even said, boy, I'm, I'm in a very dangerous position. As he said in the Gospels many times, he used this example of agriculture, which was big in his day, where he talks about the sower. Please laugh at this. This is so good. Isn't it? And, the, and the sower is sowing seed on the ground. You remember the parable. The sower is throwing all this seed. Johnny Appleseed. He's throwing all this seed on the ground, right? And what does Jesus say? Unless some of that seed really gets down deep, that that seed, if it just lays on top of the rock or the stony ground or whatever, what's he say? Then things like birds can come in and take it away and all these other things. In other words, it's susceptible it's exposed. It's open. And it never really gets planted. Settle Christ in your heart. And that's what Peter and the other disciples had done. You alone have the words of eternal life. I'm not looking anywhere else in any other direction. Christ, I'm looking alone to you. I have settled it. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are God. You are the resurrection and the life. You are coming back. Settle. Boom. Now I can move on to something else. And that's why I've also said this. And we're going to get to this in just a moment. In fact, look at it. 1 John 5.13. I'll just go there right now. That's why John says, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God and who settled what Christ is to you so that you may, and here's the most important word, kano. <laughs> that you have eternal life. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that word, even in the English, much less in the Greek, means this. It's been settled. I know. If you know something, it's settled. You see, and that's why even this whole idea of I don't know whether I'm saved or not, or I'm going to wait till I get to heaven and then I'll find out whether I'm saved. No, 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 no. The Bible says that I can know right now, before I die, before the rapture, I can. I know so that I can settle this because, again, God knows if I don't even know whether I'm going to heaven or not, if I don't even know that I'm saved or not, 
then I'm never going to achieve spiritual stability. In fact, I've even told you in the mind, I'll go a step further. I have never met a Christian who believes that they can lose their salvation, who's really out there serving the Lord as they could be. Why? Because their energy and their focus is on, am I saved today or am I not? Am I saved today or am I not? Did, did I do something to lose my salvation? And so their whole life, because they haven't come to a point of spiritual stability where they know that they're saved, and where they're still wrestling with that very basic question of, am I saved, am I not saved, that they can't put their focus and their energy in serving or ministering or anything else because they don't even know whether they're settled or not. And how can they lead somebody else to spiritual stability and a settlement in their spiritual walk if they don't even know that they're settled and spiritually stable? Anyway. So that's why it's so important. That's why we've got to get people to settle who Christ is. And again, it's not knowing the whole Bible. It's not coming to an understanding of all the doctrines in the Bible and all of that. It's just knowing the very basis of Christ, settling who he is, and knowing that you know that you know. 1 John 5.13. Comments? Questions? Come on, throw something. Yeah. Okay, we, I have a problem with uh, my sister, who is, you know, basically full on away from you know, Christ was just another prophet. Uh, I mean, a lot of Eastern religion believe uh, channeling right. and so forth. But she stopped most of that. But she's still copper room healing, you know. Oh, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff out there. You know, ex-Catholic. How do, how do you, uh, you know, what would you say is the first thing? I guess it's settled who Christ is in my head is, you know, if you believe Christ is God, is that the first when they, they don't, because she hit me with the Gnostic Gospels, also, yeah. you know. Well, and here's and the are key. all these other religions bad, you know, you know. Well, and here's the key, and this that's a great question to bring up because, again, going back to say this bad illustration is, but but <laughs> the concept is, is what I want to get to. If she truly sees, settles who Christ is and accepts Him as truth, then she's got to understand that even from a logical perspective, not even a spiritual perspective. Anything that she is pursuing that's contradictory to the truth has to be rejected. You see, that's where people, they, they somehow, and this is why we live in what I call it, this, this is the word, I think I've shared this with you before, you'll hear a lot about it. Remember when I wrote this board, word up on the board several weeks ago? Yeah. Syncretism. What that simply means is that in the world in which we live today, people think that they can have Jesus plus false stuff. Okay? In other words, to them... I can, Jesus is just sort of something I add like a charm on a bracelet, you know. I've got this charm bracelet and I'm just, I'm just going to add Jesus in there. The problem is to add Jesus, Jesus then is going to contradict all this other stuff. So even from a logical perspective, not even a spiritual perspective, it just shows you how unstable they are because they're saying, oh, I believe in Jesus. Well, if you believe in Jesus, then you've got to reject this because they're mutually exclusive. You can't say, I believe in Jesus and what he stands for, and then stand for this. It just does it'd be like saying, even to go to this extreme, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I also believe in murder. Uh, isn't Jesus against murder? But see, to the postmodern person, they can believe in Jesus and still believe in murder is okay. Because to them, Jesus is just something they add. It's not a question of, Okay, he's alone the one who has the truth, that the Bible is the truth, and therefore everything outside of that has to be rejected because it contradicts it. 
and so contradicting. Mr. could do it. He's got the church and he's got Jesus and America. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I think the hard thing is that when you talk to her, she's so turned off um, from the Catholic background and because right. of... Uh, yeah, she, she's not moved, and she is so into the Eastern beliefs, and she also is very bright. <laughs> right. That it really is very difficult to find a ground to to meet on. You know. Let me have no. Yeah. <laughs> California, be our guest. No. <laughs> but but They're channeling her husband and the cat. You know, it's tough. Right. You know, to get through to somebody like that. And I agree with you. And one of the best things we can do, and I, know, I don't say this tritely. Is pray for them because they are engaged in this spiritual warfare. And again, going back to 1 John 4 1 about testing the spirits, you've got to understand that there are demonic beings and demonic teachings that are working on her. And so it's not, it's it's way more powerful than some human being and his persuasive words or her persuasive words or her friend or anything. There's demonic stuff going on there, and that's what makes it so powerful. And the only way we can break the power of Satan is with the power of God. And one of the ways we break the power of Satan is through prayer. The Bible says, hey, prayer is a wonderful weapon. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal through pulling down strongholds, but mighty through God. And those weapons are the Word of God, prayer. Anytime that we can share Scripture with her, share it with her. Anytime you can pray for her, pray for her. Those are our two greatest weapons that we have as Christians, is the Word of God and prayer. Anytime you can get a verse in there, write a verse on a card, send her a letter, and put some scripture in there, you never know. Because again, the Word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of soul and spirit, even getting into the joints and marrow. Yes? You bring up a point about her being very bright, and I think last week we talked about the intellectual approach towards people as well. And, and while there is certainly a platform for that and people especially I think at this time in history we consider ourselves smarter you know but Jesus said we should come to him as a child and not that children aren't intelligent but they, they're simplistic and, and we make it so much more difficult myself included because I let me do something to make that you know I, I, I want it to be something I can do and it's total surrender and I think it's just it's different. It's not right. being smarter. It's being right. surrendered and simplistic. Well, because, again, Satan wants to appeal to our flesh just as he appealed to his own flesh when he rose up against God. And obviously, our flesh likes working for something and figuring something out rather than surrendering it to God because then we have something to boast about, the Bible says. If we surrender to God, then God gets all the glory for it. All right. Can I just say, when I say sure. writer, okay, I just mean that when we try to have a dialogue with her, She's read such esoteric stuff, you know, and we're trying to work from the Bible, you know, and so it's very hard to combat things that are so far out when you, you know, when you're trying to get grounded and find a a common place to speak I agree, and I would be in that same position. It's just, I think, it's it's a common problem because people in our society, I think, in general, we just... We just made life more difficult, and particularly this because we pulled ourselves up. We're more technical, technologically, sa- you know, savvy, and right. everything has come along. So therefore, we should improve this too. You, do, you know what I mean? As a right. intelligent society, so yeah. to speak. 
I just I want to move ahead. We'll stop in just a moment, but I want to get to point two. <laughs> so the first point towards spiritual, we're almost done by now. <laughs> the first point was settle Christ in your life, which is so important. But then I want you to see that even after we accept Christ as our Savior, as we're going to see here in these next three passages, notice this. We've got to stay focused on Christ. Because even after I become a Christian, those spiritual red herrings can cause me to become distracted and diverted to where, again, I will lose my spiritual stability if I do not stay focused on Christ. Again, the greatest example of that is here's Peter walking on the water as long as he keeps his eyes on, on Christ. But once he takes his eyes off of Christ, he begins to sink into the water. Notice what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, or 2, yeah, 2 Corinthians 11.3. Right there in your notes. But I'm afraid that just as the serpent deceived Eve by his treachery, your minds may be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Sort of what Lisa just said about, you know, we're making it too difficult. And that's what Satan wants to try to do. Muddy the waters. Complicated. Paul said, look, all you need to do is stay focused on Christ. Don't get caught up in all these other things. Then notice he goes on to say in Philippians chapter 3, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to arrive. Instead, I am single-minded. And here's, here's where he's single-minded, with this goal in mind. I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So his, his single-mindedness is thrown, a, thrown into the direction of staying focused on Christ. And then one other passage that deals with this, Hebrews chapter 12, where it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely, run with endurance the race set out for us, and here it is, keeping our eyes fixed. On Jesus. And on all three of those passages, you see this very same problem. That even after we become a Christian, we can get distracted. We can get detoured. We can start going down this road that God never wants us to go down. We can get enamored with this over here. We can get caught up in this movement. We can, and just like these folks said, you know, there's so much out there today. Man, you, just, you can just go after this and after that and fill your lives with this and that. And Paul and John and the writer of Hebrews and everyone, Christ is saying, stay focused on me. When you are tempted to, to look over there, because, boy, that looks really good, that's exactly what Satan, you see? It goes back to the temptations of Christ. Whenever he threw up to, to Christ, oh, I can give you all the kingdoms of the world over there, Jesus. Jesus had to stay focused on the will of God and on the word of God. And we've got to do the same thing. Because Satan and the demonic forces and people and the world system and everything we live in, you know, in a sense, we're sitting there driving this car towards the goal of becoming like Christ. And there's Christ out there. And we've got to keep our eyes focused on Christ. Now, how dangerous would it be if I'm driving a car down the highway... And I'm doing this, which is what my wife says I do. Anyway, where I'm like this, trying to go there. Oh, I looked, oh I, ooh, look over there. You know, that's going to be disaster. And the same thing is true spiritually. If I don't keep my eyes fixed on my goal, fixed on Christ, and I start to get distracted and enamored by all this other stuff that's going to be, you know, in my peripheral vision to where I could start to go over here. Paul says, don't take the bait. Don't be tempted to do that. Keep your focus on Christ at all times. And you know what, folks? I think even more than things, and that's, that's saying something in the materialistic world that we live in, but even more than things, I think we get distracted more by people, other people, than even we do things. 
if we get it distracted by things, but we get distracted by people. That there are people who come into our life and instead of them being an encouragement to keep our eyes focused on Christ and to keep headed in that direction, somehow they begin to pull us away. And that's why we have to be very careful about the relationships and the friendships and all of that that we bring into our lives because other people, I think, can be some of the biggest distractions uh, to pull us away from remaining focused on Christ. And then just a couple other verses to share with you tonight. The third one is found in 1 Peter. And we're going we're gonna to go into this verse in depth when we get to August, so I hope this will whet your appetite. How do I want to put this? Yeah. I may just speak on this one verse at some point in the mind. This verse is a verse that, if somebody asked me what my life verse was, this would probably be it. 1 Peter 1.13. Here's what I want you to see tonight out of this verse. There's a lot in this verse, but here's what I want you to see. The third component, if you will, as we crack the nut of moving towards spiritual stability is this. Peter says, therefore, get your minds ready for action by being fully sober and set your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Literally, it just simply means set your hope completely on eternal realities that cannot change which is what they are that Jesus Christ is bringing. Now, here's the, here's, the, here's the key. Not just understanding what this is, but really, tonight, I want you to see this word. Completely. God doesn't say, set your hope 90% on me and 10% on something or someone else. Or he doesn't say, set your hope mostly in my direction, but you can save a little bit of hope for someone or something. No. He says, set your hope... 100% on this. Now think about that. How many of us have put our hope in another human being throughout our life? How many of us have put our hope in a business or a, a company or a bank or or this venture or that or whatever? And then we've had our hope dashed. We've lost hope. We are discouraged. We're in a funk. We are depressed. We have, we've given it all up. We are just throwing in the towel because all hope is gone. And you know why we got to that way? Because we moved away from the, the components of spiritual stability. Even if you settle who Christ is and you begin to stay focused on Christ, there also has to come that point in our lives where we set our hope completely on the eternal realities that are coming, not on anyone or anything upon this earth. Because any time you and I set our confidence, our hope, whatever you want to say, on anything of this earth, our stability is going to be shaken and our hope is going to be shaken. And that's why God very clearly says in His Word, don't put your hope in people. Don't put your hope on anything man-made. Put your hope completely on me 
and on the eternal realities that are coming that cannot change because everything in this world changes. But these eternal realities that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ is what we need to set our hope on. And when we live each day with our hope firmly anchored in the eternal realities that cannot change, then no matter what happens on this earth, not only is our hope not shaken, but our stability is not shaken. Because our stability is founded upon biblical hope, a hope that is completely set where it needs to be set. That's why then you'll notice the very next verse. Key verse to this whole spiritual stability. That's why the writer of Hebrews says this kind of hope is truly an anchor for the soul. I love that. Again, my artistic ability is just amazing here. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's an anchor. It's an anchor. There we go. And here's how you spell anchor spiritually. That's how you spell anchor. The anchor of our soul is this. But it's not just this. It's where it's placed. It's got to be completely placed there. That's the anchor. The anchor then will not... We are sunk. We have lowered our anchor in these eternal realities that cannot change so that again, Dan Brown could write a thousand books. It's not going to affect my faith any because my anchor has been sunk down into the eternal realities that cannot change. I don't care if Moses comes back with ten different commandments at this point. I ain't buying it. Because my anchor is sunk where it needs to be. I'm not moving. I'm totally spiritually stable. Just by going through three points. Settling who Christ is, staying focused on Christ, and setting your hope completely on those eternal... Folks, those three things will move us towards spiritual stability. And that's why then Jesus said this, the last verse that I have there tonight for you, where Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them is like a wise man who built his house on rock. That's stability. So, we have a rock. His name is Jesus. Therefore, build your house on him. That's the message. Goodness. That's the message. That's how we move towards spiritual stability. That's what will prevent us from being tossed back and forth with everything that comes down the pike. You see? Because I've already settled it. I've already settled that Jesus is the Son of God. So when Dan Brown writes a book that says Jesus is not God, it doesn't move me at all. Because it's settled. I settled that a long time ago that Jesus is God. I settled it a long time ago that Jesus wasn't married to Mary Magdalene. I settled it a long time ago that Mary Magdalene's not God. She was a follower, but she wasn't God. So I settled all that. So Dan Brown or anybody else can write books and make movies. It's settled. I'm firm. I'm anchored. I'm not moving. And you hopefully aren't either. All right? Thank you, guys. Any comments or questions before we wrap it up tonight?
Here's what I got to say to you before you leave. Since I've been doing the mind since September, I just want you all to know you have just been an unbelievable blessing. And you guys are just I only, you guys are awesome. You're just great. You're awesome. I so look forward to being here on Tuesday night with you, and I cannot say enough to just thank you and, and just encourage you. You guys are headed in the right direction. By being part of something like the mine, you are doing everything you can, not only to keep yourself spiritually stable, but I think you're also arming yourselves with the information that you need for God to use you to go out there to build spiritual stability in other people's lives. See, it's not just that this mind isn't just about us. It's about how God can use this for us then to go out and share what we're learning in here to help and encourage others. And I know that many of you are doing that. I, I hear emails, cards, and stuff where you guys have said, I just want you to know, I, I used that and shared that with a friend, and that helped, and yada. So I know it's happening, because again, God promises His Word will not return void. It's going to accomplish what He sends it out to accomplish. And that's true anywhere, and that's true right here. And thank you guys for being so faithful, for being here. I'm going to miss you. Let's close with prayer and I'll let you go. Father, thank you again for the rock, Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray tonight that as all of us leave this room, that we truly have come to a point in our life where we've settled it with Christ. And that, Lord, we know that we have our house built upon the rock, the rock that cannot move, for it is God of very God. And Lord, I pray that we have a burden not only for our own spiritual stability, but as we've also been reminded of tonight through these verses at the beginning, how spiritually unstable this world is. How so confused and hopeless many people are in this world. And Lord, you may want to bring us alongside of those who are hopeless and who are being tossed to and fro and who are just so confused. And you might want to use us to be your mouthpiece and and that person in their life to maybe share with them some truth that can bring about some spiritual stability in their life that maybe they've never had, or they had at one time, and then they began to walk away from. Lord, use this, we pray. And bless us, Lord, keep us all safe throughout these next couple of months. Give us a good summer, Lord, with you, and help us to continue to grow in you and stay focused on you. And then, Lord, help us to come back just really stoked and energized to dive into Peter on August the 15th. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. You're great. Have a great evening. See you in August.